welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover new gems as we explore the depths of director video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watch City Slickers. Thank you for joining us on 1991 Movie Rewind. In City Slickers, Mitch, played by Billy Crystal, with his two best friends are having midlife crises. For his 39th birthday present, they take him out of his troubled New York City life and into a cattle ranch for a two-week adventure, moving to herd, managed by a rough and possibly dangerous screenplay by Lowell Gantz and Babalu Mandel, directed by Ron Underwood, and released on June 7th, 1991. I'm assuming that you've seen City Slickers before. Yes, I watched it. Not a lot, but I remember watching it. It was on cable. But I haven't seen it since the 90s, I guess. Yeah, same here. I mean, it was a huge movie. Yeah, which, I mean, it it was so huge that they decided to do the sequel, and the sequel is, like, so bad. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't remember the sequel at all. Uh, we should probably give a quick little disclaimer here. If you hear weird noises or if one of us sounds weird, we're doing remote recording for the next several episodes. So apologies in advance. Um, we'll be back to normal at some point. Yeah, I think, honestly, I, I don't think they were expecting such a large box office hit. It was number five of the year, grossing $179 million off of a budget of $27. Um, and I think it's, you know, unexpected because there was no promotional tie-in stuff that I could find, you know, like no action figures, no video games, no anything. I don't think people expected this to be anything other than just a basic filler comedy pushed out in the middle of the year. But it it captured the attention of a lot of people. And I don't know if it just hit the right audience at the right time, um, because you do have... Billy Crystal, who was known for, you know, like When Harry Met Sally and and obviously other stuff as well. And I think, uh, you know, it's like the mix of the the comedy plus the the seriousness uh, that kind of matches When Harry Met Sally, but obviously not as effective um, that probably resonated and like built the word of mouth, perhaps. I mean, it's also... A family movie, so I feel like yeah. Chil- like I mean, I remember girl. liking this movie growing up because it's like cows, and Norman is like the cutest cow. And then of right. course you have to save Norman. Yeah, yeah. It's it's this weird mix of genres that probably doesn't have a right to work, uh, but it still does, and yeah, like I. Even as a kid, we talked about how I don't like Westerns. I don't like period piece stuff that much. I still remember wanting to see this and and enjoying it when I did for something that's obviously not set in the Western time period, but it does involve 
cows <laughs> and <laughs> open plains and you know cowboy life which i don't really care too much about in, in pop culture um and you have these guys who are talking about how much they hate their lives so <laughs> and it's like this is still entertaining for yeah like when i was watching it i was uh, i don't know like maybe like watching these movies as a kid i'm like it's uh, the way that billy crystal always just like talks about death and i'm like this or thinks about it i'm like this is me <laughs> but i don't know <laughs> but i felt like that even when i was a kid billy crystal's humor is is very difficult to pinpoint because it is wide-ranging yeah and it's very it also, like dad humor i don't know but it's well yeah it's partly dad humor there's obviously some slapstick involved especially in this movie not so much when harry met sally there's a lot of it's it's grounded in reality in a way that like finds humor in various serious situations without going over the top with it um and it, it's really hard to like pinpoint like how that works and why other people can't replicate it but it really is something that's pretty unique to him and again i think it's in full display here where you just have like very simple scenes like let's say like when they're birthing norman mm -hmm. you know there's so much going on in that scene where you have you know the the action and the tension of will this calf be born at all because it's a breached birth um in the middle of the field with just him and, and curly the the cowboy ranch hand that's that's helping the whole situation um no professionals per se uh and, and you have like the little snide remark after the birth is done where you know he flicks his arm and all kinds of mucus comes yeah. up he's like it wasn't in the brochure like it's a very simple throwaway line but the act of like tossing goop while you say it as just like this extra level and there's the heartfeltness of it along with the you know it's just it's the mix it's the full mixture of everything that makes this movie work right and then that scene i didn't realize how kind of like graphic it was yeah <laughs> like seeing yeah, the calf coming out like you actually see it coming out i was like whoa i know that was all like fake and like puppetry or something that i read like obviously that's not going to be a real cow birth I don't know, because I also saw a little thing of trivia, I don't know, it's on IMDb, so take everything with, you know, a grain of salt, but they also said on an IMDb trivia entry that there was, like, three different cows at the ready to... To get, well, I think to show birth. Norman come out, yeah. right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, for, like, the actual live action To have, shot. like, an actual calf. Right. I don't think uh, showing an actual cow birth like that would go but yeah i don't know i don't know it, it's it's interesting and it also is strange because you talk about how death is mentioned by mitch a lot and, and somewhat his friends but more so mitch like mitch is the one who's like dealing with more of the depression side of the midlife crisis whereas the other ones are just more like well what am i going to do with myself um like is this direction i want to go in whereas mitch is like sort of at the next level where he's like i don't want to do this at all anymore like i have no meaning in my life right and um 
the movie handles death in such a strange way because again it is like certain serious conversations that are done with it but then you have jokes made about it like the horse is getting like plunged into the ravine when the the cook gets drunk and, and yeah that was the cart and then like depressing. you see the two mounds and it's meant to be kind of a joke that hey two more animals died i know that they were they just buried curly and then you know that happens and then, the, and then they're and like then oh Norman's mother as well and they're like we this isn't what we signed up for to bury bodies you know that's right. just like it added on to that joke like i didn't sign up for this type of thing yeah but i think just the quick cutaway to show the two mounds was supposed to be a, a joke yeah but so, i don't know i don't like um, but yeah, I mean, they're not afraid to talk about that subject matter at least i guess which is unusual for a family comedy there's a lot of adult situations there's talk about infidelity there's you know a lot of sexual relations because you know you have the three main friends you have yeah. Mitch that we talked about with, uh, that's Billy Crystal you have uh, Phil played by Daniel Stern and you have Ed played by Bruno Kirby they're all going through different things um, Phil has a wife that he hates and doesn't talk to pretends to be asleep when she's around to avoid having any sort of interaction with her in a social setting um ed is just a perpetual playboy type a person who doesn't want to settle down because he's afraid of what commitment might actually mean and then mitch is the one who's you know has the the wife and kids and has a steady job but it's a job he doesn't like and hasn't been handling very well and they get into those conversations, which I think is something that a lot of commies don't want to do. You know, they don't want to dive into, you know, like, well, what do you think about where you are in life? Yeah. And and instead of, like, shying away from that, you know, they just interject jokes here and there. You know, like, gentle ribbing back and forth or whatever the case might be to kind of keep the entertainment going while still having those heartfelt conversations. And I think it works pretty well. It's really weird to have Billy Crystal playing someone who just turned 39. Because, right, because, I don't know, <laughs> I, they, so they, they feel older than they are, but I think, I don't know, we've talked about actors um, who are older than us, when but when you see them at our age, they still look older than us. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's that perception, you know, obviously, like, makeup and hairstyle trends change over time, that's part of it, but also it's just, like, you maintain that nostalgic impression of people where, I saw this when I was 10, these people are obviously old, and so yeah. I still kind of look at it as, as they're if old. I was 10 years old. Which um, is, I mean, but he looks the same as he did in, like, when Harry met Sally. It's right, when he was like... also sometimes playing like a college kid so yeah because that timeline jumps around so much so that kind of, that made when harry met sally kind of off-putting too it's like the least believable part about that is like the scenes where he's supposed to be like this like 20 years kid. old when i don't even i mean that i know when he filmed this movie he was like our age he was like 42 43 whatever aging is weird i have no idea <laughs> <laughs> it's weird but maybe on that to say that you know like we can understand this movie from a different perspective because we are that age now and so 
I mean, I definitely feel like I have a better understanding of what a midlife crisis is about. Oh, yeah. I don't think I mean... I'm having one. I don't think I'm going to necessarily have one either. But I understand the... I, I think it really boils down to, you know, like, I still feel 25 mentally, even though my body yeah. is 40-something now. So, like, when your mind stops developing at a certain age and you stop growing from your mental capacity and you keep on aging past your abilities, that throws you for a big loop. And I think that's sort of what the root of this is, especially with like Ed's character where he's like, you know, he's still thinking like a 25 year old who's never going to settle down, but you know, life is telling him to possibly do otherwise. Um, and then Phil's just in a situation that he never wanted to get into and he doesn't know how to get out of it. Yeah. Even with these, uh, vacations that they do yearly together it's even the wife even says his mitch's wife even says so barbara what but that that they're well when the movie begins they're doing the running of the bulls in spain and all the wives and girlfriend are there with them but they didn't do the actual running of the bulls but they were in Spain together because on their way back from that trip, that's when Barbara mentions, you know, you're still trying to act young mm-hmm. by going on these extravagant vacations. Because even yeah, after... You're always like, looking for the thrill rides. You're looking for the... Yeah. After that, they're like, oh, we should go scuba diving. Like, they're already planning for their next trip after that ended. And Ed's like the instigator of it, right? He's like, let's do this skydiving thing, but it's better than skydiving because it's like a shorter parachute, so you have to fall farther faster. So he's like, he's looking for like the death type stuff. And and Mitch is the one who's like, let's slow down. Let's do something more basic, like a scuba diving excursion. Mm -hmm. Like still do the adventure, but like, let's not taunt death. Because one of the things that happens in Spain is that Mitch gets his but impaled by a bull basically yeah uh whereas you know phil's able to like grab a post and hide up and then ed just dies into the crowd but mitch is hit like in the crotch or the butt uh, which leads into like a, a youch and then we get an animated title sequence which i think bears a little bit of mentioning because i think it's like the second or third time that we've had one in 1991 yeah, I know oscar had that Oscar had the claymation thing. Figaro guy. And then Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, which released the same day as this, also had an animated sequence, which is kind of the same style. This is more like a Hallmark card cowboy. Yeah, the the wives are not in on it. Um, And honestly, you know, Mitch's wife, Barbara, is the one who's like willing to be like the most open and honest with Mitch. Yeah. And she tells him things that he needs to hear. And again, credit to the movie where it's, it doesn't turn out to be like a big fight or anything. It's just, you know, like actual honest, open communication between loving yeah, partners. They're, yeah. They're just very transparent with each other. And then she's also just not mad because when yeah. it's Mitch's birthday and 
Phil and Ed surprise him with this trip going on this herd trip to New Mexico into Colorado. Mitch was like, oh, I was going to go to Florida to visit my mother-in-law. Like, he really doesn't want to go, but it's like he's trying to make his wife happy by going. Right. And she's just, she even says, I know you're not going to have a good time in Florida, so you should just go on this guy's trip, even though I've said in the past that you guys always do these extravagant things. I don't know. She's just like an understanding. Yeah, it's it's refreshing to see that type of thing yeah. reflected in movies. But I mean, you like see stupid artificial bullshit. Yeah, like because you could easily have a different writing. movie with different writers who use that as leverage to have Mitch flirt with the sole woman who's on this ranching trip. Right, he, he wasn't. He was just being but a nice wasn't. guy. And yeah. even Ed and Phil didn't really do that either. It was just kind of her noticing Phil near the end of the movie. Yeah. It's, you know, Phil... Um, so Phil, who's in the unhappy relationship at the birthday party, gets confronted by uh, a co-worker played by Yearly Smith who says that she took a pregnancy test and it's positive and everyone finds out that Phil has now slept with his young co-worker. Um, so a big argument happens and, and so on and so forth. And so that's sort of his extra yes. impetus for leaving and, you know, everyone's soul searching. So Phil is looking for answers to his life problems. But basically, you know, his marriage is finally over, something that should have happened a long time ago, according to what we know of the old movie, where they don't really barely ever talk to each other, they don't interact. It's just a very manipulative, angry situation. Yeah, I'm, like, wondering how they got together. Is she just, a, she, like, bullied him into marrying her or something? But I know yeah, they, they don't have... get into that part of it. Huh? Yeah, they don't get into that part. I know. I'm just, I'm, I'm wondering if they were just, if, I, I'm assuming they're all 39, if they're all friends, and maybe around the same age. Yeah, but just about, at least. I'm just, I'm just assuming that they were probably, like, high school sweethearts or something, and they just got married young, and that was that <laughs> i don't know and she probably yeah, they could have added a couple of lines and maybe it got cut i don't know that they could have explained something simple like that because they talk about how what were they together with, like for 18 years or something like that right and so i must that's like they were probably high school college and that was why he decided to be with nancy so because I do know that they all grew up together, at least Phil and Mitch, because they talk about when they were yeah, younger. Yeah, they talk about Mitchie the kid. Yeah. But was Ed also... Are they all friends? I think from... they're all three. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was just Phil and Mitch and, like, Ed appeared. Oh, that they are... That marriage is ending and he has no job and no wife. So it's just like what do I do now at the age of 39 or whatever? Yeah, he's at a total crossroads as opposed to Mitch who 
is less optimistic than Phil, who even, you know, who has a worse situation. Yeah. Mitch just doesn't like his job. He doesn't like the fact that, you know, he, he goes to a career day with his son's school where he has to follow this construction guy who's telling this crude story where he's swearing up a storm and talking right. about how he like, saved this woman or whatever. Um, and then his son Danny lies and says that he's a sub commander before admitting, no, he works for a radio station selling ad space. And, you know. Yeah, he doesn't have a cool job. And then the more he thinks about cool it, job. he's like, what the fuck am I doing exactly? Yeah, <laughs> which I mean, a lot of us in that yeah. situation have had those thoughts. And I've had those thoughts too. It's like, well, what the hell am I doing? But now like, I'm yeah. like, at terms with them, like, I don't. But like, it's like, what else can you do? <laughs> That's just, I mean, kind of what he's thinking too. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, Mitch is at that crossroads of life. It's like, I don't, I can't find happiness in anything, even though I have things I should be happy about. Um, and then Ed is really just, I don't know if there's any single woman who is right for me. And he's currently with this, what, like, like a model, basically like a 20 year old, 25 year old model. And, yeah. you know, she wants to get married and have kids. And he's like hesitant about it because that would lock him down. And he doesn't want to become like Phil. Yeah. So. Happy fun family comedy about being in the West. It's just, I don't, when I was younger, I'm not, I wasn't thinking about when they have these adult conversations, I wasn't thinking that. I was like, I, no, I wasn't either. I, I probably was even, honestly like a little bit bored of those scenes. When they I'm talked. Like, well, let's get to the cows. Yeah, that's exactly. And then, I mean, you're mostly just I like, thought... where are the cows? And then, oh, Norman's there. Can I just see Norman? I thought Curly had one more scenes. I thought Curly. Two more menacing scenes. Yeah. I, I th thought he was like more of a threatening figure than he ended up being in this there was you know obviously at the very beginning but he wasn't threatening to mitch and the boys he was threatening towards uh jay jeff and tr yeah or messing with bonnie this old woman who's on the trip yeah i thought because just from when i was younger i thought that he was um he gave billy crystal's character a little more shit and that's uh -huh. how they bonded, but they truly only bonded over like over a day. And I thought it was a longer bond. It was really strange. I mean, maybe, okay, I know he's in City Slickers 2. So, like, but, maybe I'm mixing the two of those movies together. Do you want me to tell you, like, the premise of City Slickers 2? I mean, I remember watching it, but yeah, let's, let's do that. Okay, so, you know, when, okay, when Curly died, uh, Mitch has his hat, you know, because when, in the beginning, he was wearing a baseball cap, you know, when they were yeah, choosing their nice outfits or their cowboy gear, he uh -huh. just decides to wear a baseball cap. But when uh -huh. Curly died, he took Curly's hat. And in City Slickers 2, like, in the lining of Curly's hat, there's a map for gold or some shit. Okay. And so Mitch decides to go... He goes with, um, Phil. But Ed... Bruno Kirby is not even in... He's not in it, no. Yeah, so it's Phil and Mitch mostly going back 
to find almost this... everybody returned for this movie, including some of the supporting characters who were on the trip with them. Yeah, the yeah, because the other like those ice cream guys did not return his head. Yeah, so I mean, he was probably like, "This is dumb," which I agree. <laughs> I'm not sure if he joins like the main crew of three or not, but yeah, I think so. But they all go to find this gold, but it's his twin brother who is played by Jack Palance arrives. But I think he also plays Curly in flashback scenes because he's credited as Curly in that movie too. But I don't really remember like how they all got together and what I just remember they go back to search for this gold because it was like some family thing with curly and then they come across I, like, I don't know i feel like i remember more gunplay and like shooting at people and like shooting at snakes and stuff and that was probably in the Maybe, second one. but it kind of just was like back to the future three you know how bad that was <laughs> Like when they go I, to the Wild you know, West. Back to the Future Three was like fine. It's my least favorite of the three, but it's. Still, I just like, remember not liking fine. it because I, I'm the same with like Wild West shit. I was like, I don't yeah. really care. Yeah, the setting doesn't draw me in. Um, but Curly, I mean, like, this confused me because like, he dies so quickly. He has, I don't know, like five scenes in essence. A couple of them are kind of long, you know, they have yeah. a couple of like heart to heart conversations between him and Mitch because basically what happens is Curly and Mitch split off because Mitch uses his, his electronic coffee grinder and it scares the cows. There's a stampede and Curly's like, you and me, we're going to catch some of these strays alone. And then they have to do that to get separated from the group and have to spend the night alone while the rest of the crew moves on and then they'll catch up with them in the morning so they bond overnight and talk about like what's the meaning of life and other things like that and like relationship stuff like have you ever been in love but that's you know that was one i thought they were bonding over a matter of a few nights and then he died but it was i, I don't think the so next it's just the one day. yeah like huh? they, they bond over the the calf birth because that happens first yeah and then they they spend the night they talk about other stuff too and you know mitch that... is like giving him some shit back basically like you're you know you're really effective at scaring the shit out of me but if you're gonna kill me just kill me otherwise shut the fuck up <clears throat> yeah uh, that, like that that little bonding helped i think too and um and then they start to talk when they're catching up with the crew and then curly just like freaking dies it's it's like um where uh where what, what was that horse movie the other horse movie oh uh, wild wild hearts can't be broken yeah the way yes. that the father died yes where it's just like he's just like curly's just on his horse with his eyes open and he's just staring dead all of a sudden. he's just now dead which was so weird. I thought his death was a little bit more dramatic or something. I can't, I don't know, but I was like, that's it? Or that it happened later, too. Because, yeah, he's, I don't know, like, it's such a small role. So then it's like, okay, well, this man won an Oscar for this. Yeah, which I thought was weird. Was that? I don't know. It, it really made me think, was his Oscar... Because this is, again, it's in a comedy movie, which rarely gets nominations to begin with, let alone wins. 
Although you did have like Marissa Tomei the following year, which was also a controversy because Jack Palance <laughs> was the one announcing it. Like, is this just like a recognition of his life's work? Yeah, it's just kind of like Jack Palance is so old, so let's just give him an Oscar type of thing. Possibly. Like, like let's just give it to him. But didn't he win another one like 30 years before? Mm-hmm. No, he, he was oh. um, he was nominated for other Oscars. Okay, so it's just kind of like how Meryl Streep has been nominated so many times. Something along those lines, I guess. So, it, it's just, I don't know, or like, it just reminded me of how, like, how Jane, Dame Judi Dench can get nominated for being in, like, yeah, five for like seconds of a three movie minutes. because of who she is. Yeah. But, like, it's Jack Palance. He doesn't have that same sort of sway or didn't at the time. So, it's just, it, it makes it even more unusual to me that this happened. Uh, I mean, it's not... It's not like it's a bad performance because it's not. It's not. All. It's just like, oh, we but might as well just give him an Oscar. <laughs> yeah, at no point am I thinking, oh my god, this is such an amazing, nuanced thing. Let's nominate him for something. Yeah. So, I don't know. It, there's, there's a lot of people in this movie as well, um, and we've talked a lot without even mentioning most of them for the most part, and I don't know if most of them need to be there. You have like this, I mean, I, I get it just for filling out the, the tourist group, um, but they don't add a lot to the comedy. They just are bodies to say words here and there. You got like the the father and son dentist team. You have the, the brothers who are ice cream salesmen, sort of like a Ben and Jerry's knockoff. Yeah. And then you have Bonnie Rayburn, who's all alone. And they all get along well. Like, there's no, like, conflict amongst the, the groups in any way. But, I mean, the scenes that they have, it's just, like, a, a little bit of, like, father-son bonding conversations where the son is, like, very apprehensive. And then you have, like, the arc where the son's like, can we come back next year and do it again? Um, and then the brothers, like, their whole thing is, I can name the best ice cream after every dinner. And that's all they really offer like i guess they're supposed to be like a joke about modern conveniences because they're on their cell phone trying to talk business and then the yeah, reception just, goes dead yeah how the city but, people react in the west but it's so minimal that they don't need to be there it's, yeah they weren't um like crying about it like i hate showering like they were Right, they were so, videotaping the entire thing. They were so into it. They weren't complaining about, oh, I gotta eat, like, shitty food, or I gotta, like, shit in the fucking woods or something. They yeah. weren't complaining about No one complained about, about any of that stuff. They only complained when, like, their guides, after Curly died, the two... Yeah, which is an... Jeff and TR get into a fight, confrontation, get a gun pulled on them by Phil because they're, like, drunk and rowdy and, like, trying to take advantage of Bonnie again. And, you know, the tables get turned in, so they just leave the whole group and the herd. But, so I mean, I understand like, uh, that so is valid to be like, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, our leader is dead. And you yeah, got... we don't know how to do this. Let's just, we know how to get there, but we don't know how to bring the herd yeah. there. So let's just go leave the herd and let them know. 
Which is, um, but the, I mean, the three main guys are like, no, we're gonna we're gonna stay here. Well, actually, it's just Ed and Phil who are like, we don't have anything else to lose. We came for an adventure. Let's let's try to do this. Mitch yeah. doesn't want to do that for a while. There's a little bit of like internal argument, but then he comes back like the next morning and helps out after all. I, I think that's one of the other things that kind of works for this is like all of the conflict makes sense and they don't go over the top with it you know again they do have like a couple of minor arguments amongst the friends but there's no major i don't know like there's like no, no like major fight- they weren't really fighting amongst each other yeah there's no like none of the conflict felt like manufactured just for a movie and they the only time they were really they were mad was when mitch used that coffee maker to scare the cows and that caused the stampede because it just ruined everyone's belongings and then it top toppled over all like the carriage that the cook guy uh-huh. had and they just had yeah. less food and they were but like even then they were all kind of understanding because like oh nobody would have expected that on this yeah trip. But the, i mean they were mad at first but then by the end of the night it was just like yeah whatever yeah, they're like, okay, well, let's gather up our stuff and go. Yeah, we'll they we weren't. Now. No one, um, yeah, no one was like, oh, like pissed off about anything. Yeah, and like Phil and, and Ed have like a little minor fight when Ed is like talking to him about his infidelities because like Ed's like, well, I'm afraid I'm going to cheat on my wife if this if such and such happens, and Phil's like, well, just don't cheat on your wife. It's like, well, that's easy to say coming from you who literally did. Yeah do that same thing and then they get into like this tussle and then they're okay with each other the next day you know like it's yeah because i think they were just like yeah phil and ed and then mitch Uh is kind of like the mediator he's like okay you guys um let's just make up because you know we got a long way to go in this trip and i don't want any animosity for you know the rest of this trip so let's all make up and they're like yeah okay so they just like set everything aside which is good i guess so but i mean i understand needing to have extra characters to like make it a full tourist thing but yeah some of the time that they spent with them was kind of dumb um, yeah i mean this is like a two-hour movie too which uh-huh. i mean i wasn't mad about usually I get yeah mad. it didn't feel like it was that long I mean it, it I've, I've had slower two hours yeah it's um I mean it had to show I mean the major drama is when they had that storm going across that river yeah when it's just the three of them now trying to move the herd across and it starts to storm and they have to go like ford this river um down a deep s- slope and everything i mean there you know there are little bits of action here and there just from the nature of moving from one place to another and then like cows get loose and whatever else yeah them maneuvering um, their horses because i mean yeah. it's this is a two-week trip and it seemed like the first week was them preparing for it like them using the horses them trying to lasso like how to catch a yeah they're on the ranch and so they show a little bit of montage stuff which you know for the most part like makes sense people dressing up but then they have like you know all the fat guys trying to get on a horse haha funny 
Right. Um, it, but I think, yeah, that was the beginning of that trip. Which I, I think it's just funny how... I mean, these people are paying to do someone else's work. <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's funny. But, um... Good on the ranchers to capital, capitalize on that. It's just, I mean, if something, when Curly died, it's just, I mean, what happens? I mean, because I know after this movie, it kind of caused like a, a boom of people wanting to do ranch hand work and take trips and stuff, even with... Um, Daniel Stern, like he even got like bought his own yeah, branch. He... So it caused people to want to do this. I was thinking of just how the cook broke his legs. Uh, it's just, I guess, the danger of it all. Like you have to sign a waiver. Is probably what I'm trying trying to get to. Oh, yeah. Like I'm thinking of the legality of it because it's just like you're doing. It's kind of a. This is like a dangerous trip to go on. Especially for people who've never done any horse riding or any of this stuff. So I was yeah, thinking of the, I mean, I was thinking of the legality like, of all this. Obviously not as dangerous as like a Mount Everest climb or something like that. But yeah, definitely there's... Yeah, there's it's just like you could animals. break a leg. You can fall. Like a horse can literally... Or even a cow can like trample you yeah, or something. Yeah, fuck you off. Exactly. And I'm just thinking of like, what if someone died? <laughs> like not Curly. Like one of the people who paid to be on this trip. That's mm -hmm. what I was would be worried about. Much different movie. <laughs> <laughs> But it's just like when Curly dies, he's the leader, and then you have those two other guys, TR and Jeff, who are not even. I, I just, I was like, where, when Curly's not around, you don't really see them. I was like, what do they do besides. Yeah, I didn't know they were even coming with on the trip. That's, well, <laughs> well they, the ranch until, people like, Curly said. Curly died, and then they appear again. Like the ranch um, people said, like, you'll have these two guys to help you out, and then the leader yeah. is Curly. They were just kind of like on the sidelines, like, like just kind of doing the corralling of yeah. the cow. But it's like you didn't see them until Curly died. Because I, when they did that stampede, I was like, "Where are those two guys? Like, did they even yep. help?" But whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, I didn't see them help them, like you know, clean shit up and stuff. They, uh, but whatever. And then yeah, I thought they only it was come into play when like Cookie um, gets drunk and. Yeah, I thought that was weird because I was like, "Why is he all of a sudden getting drunk in the middle of this and going rogue?" And like he was just like, "I'm sick and tired of cooking for you guys." No, I think he's just an alcoholic, and he happened to find some stashed booze that was hidden but away when he he moons them and there's like a happy phase on his butt I, I, that was yeah. kind of like a fuck you to the people uh yeah maybe and then also just like a just a happy drunk <laughs> okay so i just thought i thought he was he got drunk on purpose to like get out of joke. this thing uh i don't know because like he didn't he only got out of it because he broke his legs in the in the fall yeah the, the thing and that's obviously just another way to get important people off of the trail who know what they're doing. So, you know, 
Cookie's gone, and then the the father and son take him to back, like the nearest uh, city or, or yep, something to the town, and then um, you know Jeff and Tr get run away. Uh, right after that confrontation, so that that leaves the three basically in order to take care and of then her it's, and her own. So like that father and son, they take Cookie to that town, but then they don't come back. They just go straight to the other ranch in Colorado. Yeah, yeah they're all at the end point at the end because like it wouldn't make sense for them to you know come back. Yeah. Because they would be done with? Right. Okay. Yeah, either, either the trip would be over, um, or maybe they had heard at that point that Jeff and TR had left. And the, but yeah, how are they communicating? This is like where I was thinking of. How, how, like, how do you communicate? What if That's why I was like, what if something Once bad... Once they get to the town, they can call. <laughs> but yeah, whatever. These are just like things that go on in my mind. So after TR and Jeff leaving, they... You know, the three guys, Ed, Phil, Mitch, take the herd across that storm and in the uh, river there. And then I was thinking, like, of Norman, because I'm like, Norman is still a fucking baby. <laughs> I was like, wouldn't you carry him? I don't know what. Like, he yeah, can't, he can't go across that river because it was, like, too high. They don't have anybody to tell them the normal procedure for these things, so. I was just thinking about Norman the entire time. But I was well, like, I mean, how is he? Well, reason to, because he gets trapped on the river. Well, because he's still small. There's no way he can get across that river. Someone would have to carry him across. And then I was like, Mitch bonded with him quickly. Wouldn't Mitch be like, oh, let me get Norman and carry him across? But, uh, I mean, I mean we wouldn't, we wouldn't have this conflict and scary scene of him going down the river. You have a big old storm, for one. You have a big slope, which leads down directly to the river. So it's not like you could just, like, stop, gather up yeah. Norman or tell Norman to stop at the river edge so you can pick him up and carry him once you get there. Um, yeah, it's and a steep, who knows? Like, this is a very frantic situation, but, yeah, like, they all get across except for Norman, who is in the river, and Mitch sees that, so he, he abandons the horse and dives in and swims to try to, to save him. Um, he but finally the... gets his lasso to work because he's, like, the one person who wasn't able to lasso anything properly. Mm -hmm. But the river but is so enough. wild that he starts to go down the river, and then I was getting scared. I don't know. I was <laughs> actually getting scared. I was like, because I don't remember this. I remember him saving Norman, but I thought that was it. I didn't remember he actually started going down the river. And I was like, oh my god, he's gonna die. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, they had to not only add that bit where Mitch Him goes in about the same moment specifically to have that bonding experience and to have that, like, I know what matters to me now moment yeah. of his life. Um, but also to have his friends go after him, too. And have them also just sort of like, hey, like, look, we're still all in this together. Like, no matter what, like, we're, you know all for one type of a thing um yeah but they they say the, the norman is... almost immediately after they get out of the river oh, yeah so. they say yeah they were like completely dry or something right after. 
But even when, like, Norman was born, he was all slippery and stuff, and then they show them later that night, and he's, like, a dry calf on Mitch's lap. I mean, he probably got cleaned up by somebody. Yeah, Whether it was, like, another cow's tongue, or if it was, like, they washed him, who knows. Yeah, I just thought it was funny how he was completely, like, clean in the next scene. But, yeah, they all save each other, because it's, like... Um, I think it's Phil tries to save him, but then Phil kind of starts to lose his grip, and then Ed has to come by, so they do, like, this whole pulley thing between the three guys just to get everyone up to safety, including Norman. And then Norman gives him kisses. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's just, like, the end of that scene, and then the next scene is just them returning to that ranch. <laughs> Yeah, with everybody celebrating and you right, know, they see them from afar. And um, and then yeah, like the the main ranch person is like, yeah, so let's let's load them up. We're gonna sell them for meat now. <laughs> well, I I thought this was because I also had this question. The the ranchers are like, since all this shit happened with like Curly and then the Tr and Jeff. And Cookie skipping out on you. I'm gonna reimburse you. I think it was. I don't know if it's just that, but it was also um, they're like I can make so much money for selling these cows for meat now. Um, so here's your like, money back. What they, do is they just move them back and forth from state to state, so they can just keep on doing the same thing over and over again. It's like the prices are so high. I'm just selling them. For, yeah. For and they all. And, you know, it's like he has like that windfall of money plus all the troubles. So he's like, I'm gonna give you your money back. Yeah. And they all get disappointed in that. Mostly Mitch. Yeah, they all get depressed about it. Um, but like, oh, I mean, I think like Ed and for... Phil are trying to talk Mitch, being like, like telling him, like you know. Well, even the. No, it's like, it's the main ranch guy you think this meat comes from. Like, this right, is, this yeah. They are bred for. And so, again, it's kind of like that, even at this end of the movie, you have, like, this flood of conflicting slash, you know, like, you have, like, the the depression talk of, of you know, killing animals. But yeah, then, like, which... The elation of, like, the adventure being over and, like, the comedic part of, you know, some of the other things that happen in the same scene. Yeah, I like yeah. I actually like that conversation because they're like, well, where the hell do you think you get your meat? And mm-hmm. I mean, cows are not extinct animals, mm-hmm. and whatever. I mean, I mean, I would be bummed too, but someone would have to explain it to me like that, like I'm a child or something. But I mean. Mitch is still feeling sad about it because it's just they're like you know you can't get attached to these cows back and you see at the very end Mitch has saved Norman yeah you get all the resolutions sort of like in quick succession when they they arrive at the airport where Ed is you know ready to commit to his his wife girlfriend I don't know if they're married yet um yeah um Phil doesn't Phil really know with uh Bonnie because yeah. they had a brief little 
bonding in between scenes, I guess, whatever, like, you know, like little glances and they get a cab together and like that shows that they're going to have a happy life because they talk about how Bonnie had like a, a bad breakup right before coming here and she was supposed to be here with somebody, but then things went south and so she's there alone and she didn't feel together. And then Norman is there like, I'm really happy. I'm glad I did this talking to his wife and like, Mitch. this is a thing. Mitch, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mitch is like, you know, like, this is amazing. This is exactly what I need. Thank you very much. And then, you know, the porter comes in and says, you know, here's your baggage. Here's your luggage. And, <laughs> and like, yeah, oh, his kids think that they got a dog and then it's a cow. And the the wife is still not mad because it's, you live in New York. Like, well, honestly, yeah. we're going to, where are you going to keep this cow? Yeah. And uh, I think he says something about how he's going to like, yeah, he says we'll somewhere. keep it for a while and then give him to a pet petting zoo. But it's mm -hmm. just like, what if this petting zoo doesn't want him? They'll find something. <laughs> I know. But, I mean, in the second we'll, movie... We'll see City Slickers, too, because I don't remember. Well, in the second movie, they move to the suburbs and they still have Norman. Because I do remember Mitch walking down the street with Norman and he's, you know, all out like a grown oh, okay. cow. So, yeah... And then, like, you, the last shot is, like, Norman looking out the window of the car as they go across yeah, the Yeah, that bridge. was cute. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, like, a dog sticking their head out, like, trying mm -hmm. to smell the air. And that's what Norman was doing. So, all, all a very happy ending. Um, the movie, honestly, like, in terms of, like, the comedy side of things was better than i expected considering like you know a lot of the comedies we've been watching have not really yeah they're not even um, comedies <laughs> yeah and this one i mean i don't think i ever like laughed out loud like really hard at anything yeah but there are a lot of like good moments like la story i thought was clever this one i actually chuckled at a few different things yeah and so, then well I didn't look this up, but the whole he hello thing with yeah, Billy I, didn't like that I was like, is that, was that like a bit of his in like the eighties and nineties? Because I'm trying Maybe. to remember. I, mean, I know the like the you look marvelous. Thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't know if like hello was also like a catchphrase he was trying to version this. Okay, because I mean, but I did. I know like he that said that several times, and the only time I actually laughed is when norman goes into the car with the kids and he and he goes norman says hello because he's like mooing oh, yeah. <laughs> i was yeah. just wondering like is that a bit that i'm not getting <laughs> i didn't like it i didn't like that one but i mean you know otherwise pretty good <laughs> yeah pretty yeah I, I was just i i was gonna look it up and then i totally forgot and then maybe i'll look it up after like i was just wondering if that was like something that he's done before and maybe. i just didn't get it i don't remember it so i don't know if you out there know let us know because we don't remember um i think the only other thing that's probably worth mentioning that we haven't talked about before is the score i yeah. think early on it got really kind of I, I didn't like it. I did not like the early part of the movie. The score was very weird and over the top. But then, like, when the main theme starts to integrate into the movie about halfway through... Right. The main theme that Mark Shaman has created is is really one of the more memorable ones. Um, or catchy ones that, that appears in 91 movies. So, 
Yeah, and then the end credits song I liked mainly because it was a James... Well, it's still um, a Mark Shaman song. He composed it, but James Ingram sang it. Okay. And that actually was on the charts for a while i was just looking a little bit up of james ingram like he you know who he is he did the the somewhere out there song with linda ronstadt sure so like and then i was just reading how he just became kind of like the soundtrack guy for a while because he started just doing songs for movies <laughs> when i was looking at his uh like his song credits in the 80s and 90s that or not that that specific song charted a little bit but i mean it wasn't you know a major hit or anything i just noticed it at the end but it just made me wonder about songs for movies like they don't really do that like soundtrack it's like specifics except for maybe no. like Except for like James Bond movies, like they don't have specific right. songs for movies anymore. I don't know. Maybe they do. And yeah, I just the don't soundtrack think about business it. is not as yeah, it's not as and so that's a big reason big. why it was done is to have like a, a a possible hit to add to the soundtrack to drive those sales. Right. Yeah, and the song now is they don't really care about that anymore. So the song is called "Where Did My Heart Go," and it was um, number. It peaked at number 23 on the U.S. charts, and for some reason it was on the Australian charts. But, I mean, James Ingram, he's done, since American Tale, he's done, so he's done soundtrack songs for, like, Beverly Hills Cop. He did Beethoven Second. <laughs> Like a song for that, and then the very merry chipmunk movie. I've never seen that, but and then the he did a song for Forget Paris, another Billy Crystal movie. Mm -hmm. So uh, I thought that was interesting. Meanwhile, we'll hear, we'll hear Mark Shaman again in Scenes from a Mall and Adam's Family. He did both of those 1991 scores. He has several Oscar nominations as well for Sleepless in Seattle, American President, First Wives Club, Patch Adams. The South Park movie and Mary Poppins Returns. It's so weird to see like all of these like non-critical acclaimed movies, or you know, like these are like Patch Adams was not like an award-winning. Yeah, the ones that he won awards for are interesting because it's yeah. like he did win Harry Met Sally, and I don't. Don't yeah, which is like a more memorable score than I don't remember what the hell Patch Adams. Me neither. I don't even. <laughs> that's what and, and. And like South Park, I remember the original songs. Yeah. But not the score. But, I mean, like First Wives Club, like that's such a weird choice for an Oscar nomination to me. But I mean, maybe that just means the people, the composers, really know their stuff, or, um, and they don't care like what the regular prestige of the movie is. Or it just means that it's like a big boys club and the same people get nominated every year. Yeah. Regardless of what they do. Whatever. Um, let's get into cast and crew. Uh, or we can talk about awards real quick first. And then cast and crew. This movie, as we talked about, had the Oscar win for Jack Palance. He also got the Golden Globe win for Best Supporting Actor. 
uh, Golden Globe nominated for lead actor for Billy Crystal, uh, also Best Picture Comedy and Musical nomination at the People's Choice Awards. It won the Favorite Comedy Movie Award at MTV Movie Awards. Billy Crystal won the Best Comedic Performance. And there was a clip shown in the Best Performances by the Animals category, as well as the Quotes Montage. So I'm assuming Norman was like in the an, running along with the Doc Hollywood pig and oh, like the uh, MTV Oscar. Animal sequence. Yeah, MTV Movie Awards. Yeah, MTV they better Movie Awards. Show best Norman. They should have Award. Best Animal um, Acting, or well, I would put um, all the wolves from White Fang would be the winners at least for for the year of 1991 for like animal acting yeah, i know that when we did our you know we, we did our joke best of the year after our first year yeah of podcasting and we had like our own best nomination for animals and i think we both chose butch from terror within two at that time yeah but yeah <laughs> white but, fang, I mean, white fang, white fang should just like because i've never seen animal acting like that before but i think norman i mean norman was just there being cute yeah i don't even know if it was just like him acting or anything right he was just standing and looking yeah um casting crew uh we got ron underwood as the director he has a daytime emmy nomination for an abc weekend special saturn nominated for heart and souls razzie and stinker nominations for adventures of pluto and nash um, his first feature, I believe, uh, that wasn't a TV movie was Tremors, where he also did the story. Um, he's done a lot of TV directing, including recent episodes of Once Upon a Time, Fear the Walking Dead, the Magnum P.I. reboot, Evil. He does like a big, wide variety of TV stuff these days. Uh, Lowell Gantz and Babalu Mandel are the writers. They share credits on virtually everything. Uh, Oscar nominated for Splash. They did The Odd Couple, the TV series, uh, not the uh recent or not recent movie the 90s movie um night shift Webern and shirley parenthood in all iterations league of their own and city slickers 2 is also theirs for some reason Bablu mandel is also uh listed as a razzie winner for the flintstones movie but lowell gans isn't um huh. that razzie win has a bunch of names listed but only three people attributed to writing on the imdb page so i'm really not sure what's going on there but uh casting crew we already talked about the the crew the cast billy crystal played mitch robbins golden globe nomination for when harry met sally and also mr starfire day night razzie and stinker nominations for the worst sequel for city slickers 2 Emmy Award winner for Midnight Train to Moscow, his stand-up special, um, also wins for his hosting duties on the 31st Grammys and the 63rd, 64th, and 70th Oscar Awards. Um, also nominated for a bunch of other things like the award performances, uh, 700 Sundays, 61 as director and producer, and Comic Relief 7, as well as SNL. He's, in terms of acting, he's done the TV show Soap, he's done Princess Bride, My Giant, Analyze This, Monsters, Inc., Whole bunch more. Daniel Stern is Phil Bergquist, uh, best known for Wonder Years, Home Alone, Celtic Pride, and Chud. <laughs> Bruno Kirby is Ed Ferrillo, uh, was in Godfather Part Two against Robert De Niro, Flesh and Blood, Good Morning Vietnam, and of course, When Harry Met Sally, where he played Billy Crystal's friend in that one as well. Uh, Patricia Wedig played Barbara Rod Robbins. I'm hoping I'm 
announcing that they went wedding. Yeah. Uh, three-time Emmy winner for 30-something and one Golden Globe winner for that as well. She was in City Silkers too. Um, Alias, Prison Break, Brothers and Sisters, and in 1991, she's in Guilty by Suspicion, Motive. Uh, Helen Slater played Bodding Rayburn, uh, the one who ended up with Bill. Saturn nominated for her role in Supergirl, the, the movie that was in the mid-80s. Um, in 1991, she's in a TV show called The Hidden Room, which I think is Canadian, and then also a miniseries called The Great Air Race. And then uh, previous to this, she had gained acclaim in a cult movie called The Legend of Billie Jean. She was in Ruthless People. She was in the Lassie movie. And she's also in the new Supergirl TV show. Yeah. It's an homage to her work as Supergirl in the past. Curly, of course, check balance. Um, Oscar and Golden Globe winner for this. Oscar nominated for Sudden Fear and Shane. Emmy winner for Playhouse 90 for Requiem for a Heavyweight. In 1991, he's in a bunch of different stuff as well. In 1991, he's also in Horror of the Hungry humongous hungan he's been in other movies throughout a long career uh like kiss of fire sword of the conqueror contempt baghdad cafe young guns batman in 1989 which i didn't realize he was in that but he is uh and tango and cash and of course city slickers 2. well so we have cookie was played by uh tracy walter who uh has a saturn win for repo man he's in a bunch of other 1991 movies like silence of the lambs um, Josh Mostel played Barry Shalowitz, one of the ice cream guys. He's in several 1991 movies. Um, I know him from Billy Madison as the principal, so I just wanted to throw that out there too. Uh, David Pamer played his brother, Ira. He's an Oscar and Golden Globe nomination uh, for Mr. Saturday Night, which is a role he got because of his work with Billy Crystal on this movie. Also Golden Globe nominated for Crime of the Century. He's been in things like Quiz Show, Get Shorty, Nixon, um, City Slickers 2, and he's a prominent TV director as well. You know, very prominent uh, character actor. We have Bill Henderson as Ben Jessup, who was a jazz singer in the 50s and 60s. Did a bunch of, you know, TV guest spots on talk shows for, for that. And then he started acting in the 70s in things like Cornbread, Earl and Me, Silver Streak. He also appeared in like Clue and No Holds Barred and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, that was the dad of the father and son tandem the son was steve jessup played by phil lewis uh he's been in like the wayans brothers sweet life of zach and cody and in 1981 he was in a tv show called teach have we talked about that one before no. T -E -E -H? no i don't it's listed as 13 episodes but the imdb page makes it sound like only like three or four of them aired huh all right and apparently there's like some sort of interracial relationship and that maybe like rubbed the network the wrong way perhaps i mean you had jungle fever coming out i mean how did that run? yeah because it's a cbs sitcom <laughs> i don't know <laughs> they didn't have the just, you know whatever um i'll also quickly mention we got kyle secor's jeff uh he was in sleeping with the enemy he's going to be in a few other 1991 movies um but he's best known for his work as tim bayless on 122 episodes of homicide life on the streets um, Nearly Smith, of course, everyone knows from The Simpsons. She was also in Legend of Billie Jean, uh, Maximum Overdrive, and also Square One TV, so I got to mention that. And then also Herman's Head in 1991 she was in. A um, couple quick other things. We got Lindsay Crystal playing Holly, the daughter. 
who, you know, the, the son and the daughter barely appear in this movie, but uh, Lindsay Crystal is Billy's real life daughter. Uh, she's now a producer that works on a bunch of different Comedy Central type shows like Not Safe with Nikki Glaser, The Jim Treffery Show, Daily Show, etc. And then probably the biggest one is Jake Gyllenhaal, who played the son Danny. This is his debut feature, Oscar nominated for Back, Ro Back Broke Mountain, BAFTA award winner for that. Uh, also BAFTA nominations for Nightcrawler, Nocturnal Animals, Golden Globe nominated for Love and Other Drugs and Nightcrawler, Spirit nominated for Donnie Darko, Nightcrawler, Stinker's nomination for Bubble Boy. Mm. <laughs> oh boy, I remember um, when I was a kid or when I was in college, there was a kid sitting in front of us while a trailer for Bubble Boy played on the screen. And then after it was done, he just looked over to his mom and said, like, but why? <laughs> <laughs> so you knew that movie was going to be a hit. Um, also, Jake was an MTV Movie Award winner for Best Performance for Brokeback Mountain and also Best Kiss for that same movie. Uh, he's been in other things like October Sky, The Good Girl, The Day After Tomorrow, and of course, Spider-Man Far From Home. So big cast, a lot of them are in it very, very little, uh, but you know, there you go. Wait, yeah, we'll there on. was also, sorry, there was also Don Danielle Harris who was in Don't Tell the Moms, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. She was like the student yes. that asked Mitch if he was like a disc jockey when he said he worked in radio. She just had like a quick yeah, a brief, thing. brief little cameo from Daniel Harris, who we talked about before, and then also Jeffrey Tambor's in there, who we've seen from Life Stinks. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah, yeah there's like too many people in this movie that are famous. Yeah, I tried to cut it down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So we'll move on to true crime and pop culture. Okay, we're going long, so I'm I'm just gonna talk about music, but this movie was released on June 7th, 1991, which was a Friday, and it was the same release date as Jungle Fever and Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. And I'm going to talk about new release singles that came out as of June 8th, 1991. There are six new singles that came out, and the first one is... It Ain't Over Until It's Over by Lenny Kravitz. Okay. And um, I just did like a, I just read a little bit about, because um, I'm not like a huge Lenny Kravitz head. <laughs> yeah. I mean, It Ain't Over Till It's Over is one of the songs that I like of his. But yeah. I, in this in 1991, Kravitz he released this was on his se second album called Mama Said, which was his first album to reach the top 40. And all of this, I thought this was interesting. All of the songs on this album were about Lisa Bonet, and it was dedicated to her because this is right when they broke up. And the single, It Ain't Over Till It's Over, went to number two on the Billboard 100. Like, it peaked at number two. Yeah. But the was... other songs on here, I'm not familiar on this album. He had another single that came out called Always on the Run that featured Slash on the guitar. And then 
he did another song that was co-written by Sean Lennon called All I Ever Wanted. I think I've heard that song, but yeah, I'm not huge into Lenny Kravitz. Yeah, I didn't know it was 91 stuff until we started talking about this podcast. I remember like, Are You Gonna Go My Way? Was yeah, that's huge. Yeah, later. Really my first exposure to him. Really, I think this, yeah, the, it, it, this It Ain't Over Till It's Over, at least for this album that came out in 91, was very R&B and slow. Mm-hmm. And then when he did the Are You Gonna Go My Way, he, that's more just rock. And I think that's what right. he's just been doing since then. Yeah. But okay, that was but that was re- that was a new release and that was released as number 65 on the Billboard charts for this week. And then the next new release, it, this was at number 85 is a song called My Body Says Yes by an artist by the name of I don't know if I'm going to get this right. T-T-O, T-I-T-I-Y-O. And she is a Swedish singer. And I've never heard of this song or her, but I like the song. <laughs> when I was, It's very dancey. And she's just very... This I think this was the only song that kind of peaked and made it in the United States. Because I was reading up a little bit on her she's a she won four grammys but it's g-r-a-m-m-i-s which is the swedish version of the u.s grammys the way they say it is grammys i'm assuming that song was on her first album which is self-titled as tto but i think that's the only song that just of hers that made it in the United States because I have not heard of any of this other stuff she's done. The next new single that came out this week, uh, I know we've talked about this because I remember looking this up. It's this group called Desire, D apostrophe Z Y R E. And the song is called Forever Amore. They are a freestyle. Okay. They, they're a freestyle group. I, I didn't remember that name for some reason. But I remember Desire. The, <laughs> I remember the name of the song more than their band. Than the band or the group. Easier. Yeah. I'm assuming. Yes. Because, I mean, how do you not remember Desire? <laughs> I don't know, but, like, the, the combination of forever amore is like somehow more <laughs> okay but i remember we talked about this because I, I remember the video that they're um a freestyle group and they're from the suburbs of chicago and i was looking them up and they have all these there's like youtube clips of them doing live shows in chicago and i thought that was interesting okay. But this was like their only hit because it's pretty much them doing like festivals and stuff singing this song. Okay. And I think the video is shot around the Chicago area because it's just, there's like certain areas that look like I recognize where they are. Next single minute number 90 for this week was the song Can't Forget You by Gloria Estefan. And this was on that album where 
I think we talked about this too, because her other song that was popular around this time was Coming Out of the Dark. I don't know if you remember that song. No. I mean, this is. This is. I remember us talking about it, but this is like right after that bus accident she was in. Right. And the studio album is called Into the Light. And the major hit on that is Coming Out of the Dark, which I used used to hear that a lot working at the grocery store. In at number 92 on this list for a new release is a song called What a Price to Pay by Michael Damien and Michael Damien is an actor he was he's most known for being on The Young and the Restless and he also performed the theme song to Save by the Bell so he sang that song Huh. when I looked that up I was like whoa okay but yeah, he had a singing career that started in the 80s. He did a song for the on the soundtrack of for the movie Dream a Little Dream with the Corys. Mm-hmm. And um this song, I don't know, it was actually good <laughs> when I was listening to it. It sounded like some Enrique Iglesias type of song. So it's sort of like a a swinging R&B type of a Yeah. Thing. But yeah, this came out on his album called Dreams of Summer. But I mean, he didn't have any like major hits and like nothing really peaked on the charts after a while. Not even this, not even this song. I mean, it is a pretty good song. What a price to pay. I mean, I'm going to put all the videos. We'll have the videos on the website. And the last new release for this week, coming in at 94, is the song Surrender by Trickster, which I don't think I've talked about this song, but you know how... Glam metal isn't my thing, so I, I was kind of like bored with the song. It's just like a typical ballad from a glam metal band on their debut album their self-titled debut album that was released in 1990 and the single didn't chart but their album charted at number 28 on the rock charts in the u.s all right so we can uh move on to rankings and ratings where on your one to five star scale are you going to put city slickers uh, I'm gonna give this a four. Yeah, I'm basically on the same wavelength as you again, but obviously on my zero to four star scale, I can't give it a four. I'm gonna give it a three on that. Um, again, much more, it held up better than I expected it to. Uh, I really wasn't expecting like the mix of heart and comedy and action and just a, well, yeah. Every movie's worth watching once, would you watch this again? Yes, I would watch this again. Yeah, I would too. Like this is this is an easy yes for me, honestly. It's it's um not something I would watch like all the time, but uh yeah, it's it's it deserves its place. Like I understand why I was number 5 box office performer of the year. Like it's it has a lot of positive things going for it. 
Uh, not as solid as when Harry met Sally. No, I but... mean, come on. <laughs> that's that's a really hard hurdle to 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 jump over. Um, but it's it's good. It's it's surprisingly good. I'm curious about the sequel to see how far it fell. Um, I just remember it not being good. I'm... I don't remember anymore. I mean, if it's on but... cable or, or if it's streaming somewhere, then maybe I'll watch it. Yeah, maybe it's worth like popping on just to, to give it a shot again. But yeah, this is this is worth watching regardless. Uh, if you out there do want to watch City Slickers as of this recording in August 2023, if so, on Prime, Roku, digital rental, VHS, or DVD, as always, check your local listings. As for us, you can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate your review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991 movie rewind at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, YouTube. Just search 1991 movie rewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of movies, along with show notes, and more. Next week, we're done with our travels. We're going back. Uh, we're doing like crime stuff, I guess. I don't know. It's <laughs> don't like know action crime. I don't even know. It's like action crime cop stuff. We're starting with Homicide. That's on Peacock, Tubi, Pluto TV, Plex, Freebie, Philo, Crackle, Digital Rental, VHS, DVD. We'll see you then. Thanks.